Welcome to Canvas, a show all about iPad productivity. My name is Fraser Spears and I'm joined as always by Federico Vitici. Hey Fraser, how are you? I'm pretty good, how are you? I, I'm, I'm good, thank you. But I think the real question is, where are you <laughs> right now? Uh, I, I am in an undisclosed location. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm in a safe house somewhere on the east coast of the United States. Okay. Uh, you, you, eagle, eagle-eared listeners might hear some traffic going past. Uh, so I'm I'm near a road is all I'm going to say. Actually, I'm in North Carolina. I'm I'm visiting a a university here called Johnson C Smith University, where I'm participating in a number of panels about uh, education technology, and we've been discussing all kinds of different things to do with the use of computers in in the classroom, both at school level and at university level as well. And of course, the week after that, I'm heading to San Francisco for WWDC, as are you, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's, it's all week. very <laughs> exciting right now for me because yeah. I'm packing, I'm trying to prepare everything. I'm gonna leave on. In fact, when this episode comes out, I will be on a plane most likely. <laughs> yeah, for yeah, times, yeah, yeah. Mike yeah. and I are hosting a meetup in London for connected listeners, and a bunch of people are showing up. It's gonna be great. So yeah, it's a first time for me traveling for WWDC. It's gonna be exciting. Okay, yeah, I, I've been to two before, but the last ones were 2004 and 2008. And 2004 was a very different world, uh, but 2008 was, of course, the year the App Store opened. So that was the year everybody was trying to get all their questions answered about what was going on with the App Store and what that was going to look like. And I think this might be a big year for changes as well. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. So what, before we kind of get into the show, Frederico, uh, I just wanted to tell you about this project that I've been working on, sure. which is heavily iPad related and people who follow me on Twitter will, will have seen some of this already. Uh, but I have a, a friend who has been on my other podcast out of school. His name is Srini and he is a teacher from India. And he what he does is he works in uh, low income communities in India to kind of improve education and, and help uh, build up new programs and introduce new technologies and so on to schools in low-income communities. And one of the organizations that he works with is called the Barefoot College, which is a very interesting organization. And what their mission is, is to basically teach uh, women in rural parts of India, the sort of older women, middle-aged women, mothers and, and grandmothers, who are often uh, fully illiterate how to become solar engineers. And this is quite an incredible thing that they do. And what they do is they teach these women how to build uh, basically solar kits or solar projects that benefit their communities in some way. So th- these are solar uh, solar light units, for example. Um, they have solar desalination units. They have water heaters, cookers, and so on. And w- one of my favorite ones, Federico, is they have a box which has got um, batteries in it and they can charge it by solar power. And inside is a projector and an Apple TV. Wow. And what they do is they, they use this for uh, night classes. So w- one, they charge it up during the day when it's sunny. And then at night when the kids are all in bed, they use this to teach night classes for these women to learn uh, either new solar projects or other, other kinds of education. So that's the organization. And what I w- have been doing is Srini asked me, do I have any spare iPads that I could send out to India for, for this project? And I said, well, not right now, not at the moment, but what I do have is in my school, we're about to refresh our iPads to newer models, um, iPad Pros probably in the summer. So what I had an opportunity to do was to basically raise money to buy out the lease from our leasing company because uh, obviously uh, when our lease finishes, we have to send the iPads back to them or pay them a certain, about, a certain amount of money per device in order to keep them. So I had to raise about £10,000 uh, sterling to 
to keep these iPads and then I, w- I would own them and then I would be able to send them out to India to the Barefoot College. And so what I did was I started a, a crowdfunding campaign online. I started it about three days ago. And so far we are already uh, 35% funded, which is fantastic and uh, very grateful to everybody who has donated already. But I just thought I would bring it to uh, the audience for this show as well to see if anybody who's listening would, would be interested in helping out as well. Um, if, if the show has helped you or if anything we've done has helped you in the past, if you would consider a donation to the project that would be really appreciated both by me and by the people in the Barefoot College team as well. I'll put a link into the show notes for how to do that, but basically it's just one of these crowdfunding websites. It's called crowdfunder.co.uk and it's somewhere you can go and you can donate uh, at various levels uh, and any amount of money will help the project immensely. Uh, We have uh, about six or seven weeks left to go uh, and I think we're going to get there, but every Every tweet helps and every every donation helps as well. So if people would feel uh, moved to contribute to that, I would really, really appreciate that. That's such a, such an awesome initiative, Fraser. Uh, I wish you all the best with this. I don't think you'll, you'll have any problems with getting this funded and uh, really spread the word. It's such a great idea that you had. And yeah. it, it worse, worse my, my heart in many ways that, uh, you know, products such as uh, iPads are being used for this kind of stuff you know in a part of the world that you know far away from me it's a reality that I don't know but reading the details of what can be done and you know with technology and with with the iPad in this case which is all that we talk about really on this show uh, it's it's really it's really amazing yeah and because many of the of the women are genuinely illiterate a lot of the teaching has to be kind of graphical and animated and things like that and of course the iPad is such a uh, an incredibly powerful tool for both creating and also for delivering that kind of information to people. That that's that's where it fits in as part of the whole program. So it's a really big deal. And the reason as well that I'm really keen to do this is because quite often these these organisations they live on donations of things that people have genuinely finished with, and that are mostly done. You know, but these devices are they're current devices. Well, they're not currently sold, but they're they're currently supported by software. Uh, and and they're all in reasonably good condition. They've all been looked after quite well. So you know, b- giving them devices that are currently supported, do all the things that current iOS devices do, is, is a huge step up from just getting the like, iPad ones that people have lying in a drawer for two or three years. Uh, so it's a great opportunity just to get a consistent set of devices for these these folks that they can manage in a consistent way and will really save them time as well. Very nice. So as for today's topic, Fraser. I thought, you know, with WWDC coming up, we're both traveling together. Uh, we're going to, you know, uh, we're 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 going to <laughs> to San Francisco for the event. Uh, we ask ourselves, really, is it impossible to program on iOS? Uh, you know, it's a developers conference. It's a it's a it's a good question if you think about it. Is it possible to write programs to code on 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 the iPad on on iOS devices? And, yep, and this is this is one of the things that's kind of the mission of the show has always been to show people the things that they think they can't do in iOS, and this is absolutely in in the wheelhouse of that kind of idea. Yeah, and I was wondering, you know, has Apple really left an entire generation of coders behind uh, because they still they're still not offering Xcode on iOS? And it's a question that pops up, you know, uh, regularly in our community. You know, what about if you want to be a coder on iOS today? Uh, is it impossible? Are there any options? Uh, you know, iOS has always been different than a Mac, and 
the the answer to the question can you do can you program can you do any kind of coding on iOS is also different than OS 10. It's not impossible. There are some restric uh, restrictions. Some things are definitely different from from OS 10, but there are some solutions for you know for this task for this problem. And before we get into the apps that we want to cover today, I think we should touch upon the the what I mentioned about the restrictions and the guidelines and the limitations that Apple imposes on developers who want to create programming apps on iOS. So for many years, the core of the problem has been the fact that in the App Store review guidelines, uh, there's two rules in particular that have been a contentious topic among the developer community, which is rule 2.7, which says apps that download code in any way or form will be rejected, and rule 2.8 that says apps that install or launch other executable code will be rejected. So these rules are kind of, you know, when you look at them, you say, okay, you cannot download any code and you cannot install or launch executable code. Uh, that's a pretty, pretty big barrier for, you know, programming apps. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that creating an app to program on iOS is impossible. Yeah, because what what it doesn't say there is it doesn't say uh, apps into which you can type your own code and then run it will be exactly. rejected. It, it's all about down, it's about downloading code from uh, presumably untrusted sources, right? So I, I kind of get why they do this, right? This is a, a major kind of security protection that if you what they're essentially saying is that they want all code that's going to execute on your iOS device. To be uh, to go through code review or app review, rather than you put a tiny shell of an app through the re review process and then once you run it, uh, you download the real code and then you run that and that's that's where um, they, they don't want people creating a kind of workaround to app review. I, I guess it, it's why that's there, but it has these kind of second order effects that people have been, you know, a, a little bit unhappy about over over the years. I would say. Yeah. In fact, you know. Uh uh, I've been trying different different programming apps through the years, and I've seen Apple uh, kind of go against developers who wanted to download code, who wanted to uh, communicate between different apps with uh, with sharing scripts and sharing bits of code. And that's definitely the 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 core of the of the issue here is that Apple doesn't want those apps to be able to download code from the internet or to, or to exchange code with other apps. For example, one of the uh, leading examples of, of this problem with the App Store Review Guidelines uh, is with Pythonista, which is an app that I want to talk about shortly. Uh, Pythonista once had a feature to use the opening menu to share files with mm -hmm. other apps, and Apple asked the, the developer, Ole Zorn, to remove that feature because, in theory, it could be used to exchange Python scripts uh, between Pythonista and, and a second application. So definitely... The problem is that Apple doesn't want apps to be able to fetch code from the internet and to share that code with other apps. But there's no rule that says you cannot create a programming app that lets you that lets the user type code and execute that code inside of the app. And in fact, as as I will mention shortly, you can do some pretty crazy things if you stay within the the you know the confines, the bounds of the of the sandbox on on iOS. Um, so can I can I just jump onto Pythonista Fraser because I feel like it's you know possibly the best app of the bunch here. 
it, it, it's the big one in the room, isn't it? And we, we've certainly talked with Pythonista last a year ago in the, this summer. I, I rewrote our programming course uh, to use Python instead of Ruby. And one of the main reasons I did that was because of Pythonista. So it's, it's, it's worth spending a good chunk of time on because it is the biggest and the ri- richest and most complex of, of all the tools we're going to talk about today. So Pythonista is one of the most powerful and craziest uh, apps on iOS. Uh, it's a Python IDE. It's a Python interpreter that uh, can program in Python, can execute Python, supports most of the Python standard library with uh, you know, the standard modules and functions and, and everything like that. And it also supports a bunch of third-party modules that the developer Olizorn uh, specifically optimized for iOS. And the, the what's different about Pythonista, uh, you know, when compared to other uh, Python interpreters on, on OS X or desktop PCs, is that it's been specifically rebuilt and optimized for iOS, not just because of the iOS sandboxing model, but also because of iOS integrations. So... On the surface, you can see uh, writing code in Pythonista. Uh, it supports syntax coloring, so you can have you know your code gets highlighted when you're typing code. Uh, it supports tabbed editing, auto completion, so you can save time while typing code. And you know it's it has a console, so you can output uh, you know results of your scripts to the console. Uh, there's a scratch pad to try out uh, scripts before you know writing the full uh, the full code in in the in the main interface. But what's different is the integration with iOS. So in addition to the Python standard standard library, Pythonista has a bunch of custom modules uh, to integrate with the, for example, with the iOS clipboard or with the iOS keychain, with the location through the GPS on your phone, or with the reminders. It even has an action extension the, so you can invoke Python scripts from any app that supports the share sheet. For example, I have a script to upload an image to my CDN, and I can do so from the Photos app. I just need to bring up the share sheet for the photo, run my Python script, which will read the contents of, you know, the image passed to the share sheet and perform the usual set of Python operations to connect to my CDN, upload the image and give me the the, the link to the final image. So you can integrate with different parts of iOS and either with modules or with the extension and possibly the even crazier part here, Fraser, is that there's there's a module based on UIKit, which is the set of APIs that developers can use to, uh, you know, it's the framework to create interfaces for apps on iOS. Well, you can create custom interfaces for your scripts using Pythonista with a visual editor. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, one of the examples that comes with Pythonista is a full calculator where you've got multiple buttons and a, a display and things like that. And uh, it, you're really just hooking into what iOS already uses to, to display views on the screen and so on. It, it, it's very, very powerful. And, and there's all kinds of things you can do with this. Um, we we have uh, been teaching with Pythonista for a year now. And you can use it as just a basic, I'm typing in Python code and I'm running it on an iPad and that's fine. 
But then you do have this additional layer of integration with the sensors, with you know the, the data sources that are available on your iOS device as well. Um, many, many APIs that are existing on iOS, you have access to through Pythonista as well. So in some sense, you can sort of already build uh, some kind of an iOS app on iOS. It's not exactly the same yeah. thing, but it's using many of the same kind of features. And you can certainly interact with other data sources on your iPad in that way. Yeah, and I've used... Uh Pythonista in so many different ways through the years. I've been a Pythonista user since uh, 2013. It's the app that got me interested in Python in the, in the first place. I was at a point when uh, I wanted to automate my, my devices. It was probably 2012, uh, so around four years. I wanted to automate some of the things that I, that I was doing on my iPad. And back then, there were no extensions, no multitasking. Uh, and I was looking for ways to save time because I wanted to the iPad to be my only computer. So I started using Pythonista and I started learning a bit of Python to automate those tasks. So things like uh, feeding a bunch of plain text to the app, uh, markdown text, for example, having the markdown text uh, turned into HTML and that HTML pasted into the system clipboard so I could then go to another app and paste my HTML to publish an article on Mac Stories. And that was thanks to all kinds of different integrations the Pythonista has. For instance, uh, you know, reading the contents of the clipboard and pushing new content into the clipboard or editing screenshots, something that I was that I used to do for you know several years. I I used Pythonista. That was before workflow, of course. I used Pythonista to mm-hmm. optimize my images. Um, I still use Pythonista to upload images to my CDN, as I said before. And I use Pythonista, you know, for things like authenticating into web services using the a password stored in the system kitchen so the iOS kitchen with all the security and protection in place you know by by Apple and iOS it's definitely mm-hmm. possibly the leading example of what can be done with a programming app on iOS if you know what you're doing you know of course it's a python app so you got to you you have to know python uh but what can developers do if they play by Apple's rules, if they, you know, uh, rebuild their apps or maybe they, their traditional notions of programming apps to work with, with sandboxing, with iOS APIs, with permissions, you know, permission dialogues. Uh, it's it's mm-hmm. really a gem. It's, a, it's one of the, the leading examples of programming apps on the App Store. Yeah. I mean, I, the way I look at Pythonista is... You know, that's one developer has worked, you know, by himself, but very hard uh, for a number of years to build something like that. And often I've said on on Twitter and so on that I think Xcode should come out for iOS um, because obviously, you know, iPads are getting more powerful. And it's a major statement just to be able to say um, on this platform, you can program apps for this platform using this platform. And that's a major breakthrough for any platform. And a lot of people come back to me and they say, well, oh, you, you can't do that because, number one, um, there, there's no file system in iOS, so you, you can't possibly do it. And the answer is yes. Well, there is a file system. It just There's not a finder. That's a different thing. And the second thing is, oh, it would be too complex. There wouldn't be enough things in the, you know, not enough screen real estate or whatever. And if you look at Pythonista, in fact, the answer is obviously, you know, here's an existence proof of something that is not quite as rich as Xcode, but not far off it, at least if you were to take the parts of Xcode that are relevant to iOS development, um, Pythonista would 
is an existence proof of what is possible on iOS, it, and and that is you know also passing app review. It's not it's not uh, getting the kind of workarounds that Apple might allow themselves with the Xcode, you know, because obviously Apple owns a platform. Apple can do Apple's apps can do whatever Apple wants them to do. So um, for me, there's no reason why there couldn't be an Xcode for iOS. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> so s- sort of a sister app to Pythonista, if you will, is Editorial from the same developer, Olizorn. Now, Editorial has not been updated in a while. There's a beta. It's kind of an open beta. If you ask the developer on Twitter, it's likely going to get you in the beta. Still, uh, it's uh, it's hasn't been updated for the iPad Pro and iOS 9 multitasking, but in theory, it should be coming soon. Anyway, Editorial combines the power of Pythonista's um, Python IDE with a text editor for Markdown users. Editorial is a power user Markdown text editor with visual workflow building and Python programming built in. Again, this developer is crazy and his apps are incredibly (laughs) full-featured. And Editorial is the text editor that I use for years. I mean, I've even wrote a book about Editorial. It's on the iBook store. but the gist is you Absolutely. have a Python scripting engine, there's full support for Markdown, and you can create workflows to automate a lot of actions when writing Markdown uh, on editorial. So one of the things about visual workflow, which is quite interesting to think about, is that Pythonista is kind of like a text-based programming tool. It's If you are coming from a desktop programming environment, you would know it because you get an empty text file, you write your code in it, and that's how you run your programs. Whereas something like uh, editorials, visual workflows, and later we'll talk about workflow itself and some other tools, uh, these are more of the kind of drag-and-drop type of programming where you, you have chunks that do something, and you put those chunks in the right order and then you run it and each one of those chunks does its own thing. And that's kind of where, where editorial starts to kind of bridge the boundary between Pythonista and apps like Workflow and so on later on is that it, it enables you to have some pre-made chunks, but you can also put in there bits of Python code as well and just run them as well. So it's it's powerful and it's that kind of bridge between very simple tools and much more powerful tools like Pythonista. And... I mean, it's not as advanced as Workflow, you know, which we'll also talk about uh, on this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more really similar to uh, an Automator, you know, the Apple automation app for yep. the Mac, but for Markdown text. There's also Task Paper uh, f- uh, support for, you know, t- uh, checklists and that kind of stuff. But really, um, to understand the tutorial, you kind of have to enter a mindset where uh, you say, okay, I have some markdown text and there's a built-in browser. I have Python. I have actions. What can I create? And in the past, I, I, I created workflows based on Python scripts that were not even necessarily based on markdown. I mean, I had workflows uh, with integration uh, with Pinboard, for example, the bookmarking website, mm-hmm. or integration with my RSS service of choice. And all of that was done through uh, 
Python, in fact. Instead of using Pythonista, I like to combine editorials built-in actions, which are about, I think, 50 or 60 actions, for things like I want to present a list or I want to ask user the user for input so the user can type onto, onto a text field. And then you can mix and match those visual actions with a bit of Python scripting and you can create some really amazing results. And, and it's one of the playgrounds of iOS automation, uh, really editorial combining text with Python and Markdown. It's really something unique on iOS. Yeah, it's very cool. And of course, Federico, you wrote the book on editorial as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's on the iBook store. It's a little bit updated, again, because of the, you know, editorial hasn't seen many updates in a while, uh, but it still it mm-hmm. still covers the, uh, you know, the basics of editorial. And it's, uh, I mean, the screenshots in the book are old, but uh, uh, everything else should be, uh, you know, still uh, useful, I think, to people who want to learn uh, the ropes of, uh, of editorial. Okay. I got to mention Fraser workflow because we're doing a show about programming yes. and and if there's an app that has kind of reinvented the idea of programming on iOS that would be workflow. Mm-hmm. So uh, workflow it's not strictly a programming app because it kind of changes the idea of what programming can be. It's an automation app. Yeah. So you can it's meant to create workflows to automate certain tasks or you know certain features or apps on iOS but it does this through the idea of taking programming to the visual extreme which is you have all of these visual building blocks it's like lego for programming on iOS yeah i mean th- this kind of it comes out of you know work that had been done in places like MIT MIT had a system called Scratch that was designed to um, help children learn how to program and so on. And in Scratch, you what you do there is you, you assemble blocks, um, different color-coded blocks, to give little um, sprites or, or characters uh, certain behaviors. And you, you can assemble them in that way. You get loops and it looks like a kind of C-shaped clamp and you put things inside the, the C-shape to have them be part of the loop and so on. Um, and a workflow kind of brings that exact same idea uh, to to uh, iOS automation. And the idea always is that you can't, every individual block will always do the right thing. And your job is to basically get the sequence right, if you like. And, and that's, that's what opens up a lot of that to... Uh, new programmers is because they can't get the syntax wrong. You know, if, you, if you're if you programming Python and you forget a bracket or a closing quote, you get a confusing error message. Whereas with workflow, uh, you can't make those kind of syntactic mistakes. All you can do is make sequencing mistakes. And, and that makes it a whole lot easier for people to kind of approach it because they don't have to learn the rules of typing as well as the rules of sequencing and, and logical ordering as and well. And the way that workflow does this is the developers created this engine called the content graph which is able to convert different data types and to kind of chain actions together, even if those actions are on the surface not related at all. So for example, let's say that you that you use a, an image block. You say, I want to pick an image, and then I want to turn that image into text. You might say, well, it doesn't make any sense. You cannot turn an image into text. Well, Workflow is clever enough that it understands if you place a, a text block after an image action, it'll automatically give you the file name because that's the only text portion of the image. It's the text file name. And similarly, if you say you have a link to a web page, 
and you say, okay, this is a link and I want to make a PDF. So all of this is done without typing a single line of code. You just drag and drop actions. You say, I have a link and I want to make a PDF. You say, well, you end up with a blank page with a, with a big <laughs> URL in the middle of this page. Well, no, that's not the yeah. case because actually Workflow will go over to that web page, fetch the contents of the web page and give you a PDF version of the actual web page that you would see in a browser. So the, the, the sort of this data conversion, this file type conversion, this intelligent system is at the heart of workflow. And the way that it lets you chain multiple actions together and set variables, you know, it's a big part of uh, creating workflows is to understand the idea of variables and how you can say save certain bits of data and reuse them at a little at a little stage in a workflow and also uh, workflow like Pythonista and even more than Pythonista maybe has all kinds of different integrations with iOS. So you can access the clipboard, you can access iCloud Drive, images, you can have an action extension to invoke from any part of iOS. You, you can share a location from Maps, a contact from the address book, a web page, a PDF, it doesn't matter. Workflow will always convert that data, save a variable, and let you do all kinds of crazy things. There's a widget, there's a watchOS version. Really, I, I would say, if you want to get started with programming without the overhead of coding and typing code, if you just want to, you know, uh, kind of, play around with your creativity, understand the basic, because the basics of programming, you know, loops and variables and, you know, the flow of, a, of, a, of, a, of an action from top to bottom, that's all in workflow. I would say you got to get started with workflow on iOS. Uh, you can start on the iPhone, continue on the iPad because there's sync between devices for your workflows. And really, it's not necessarily programming, but it's programming visually in a different way. And most of all, it's useful. So yeah. you can save a lot of time. Just <laughs> kind of sit down, play around with workflow, figure out where you can save time on iOS. And most likely, there's going to be a way to do that with workflow. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we could sit here all day and we could just give example yes. after example of different workflows that we've built for certain things. But um, one of the points you, you made there was about... Um, using using data to modify what it is you're doing so just one example that i have is um i have a a workflow that generates an omnifocus to-do list for reading books so what i'll do is if a book has got say 10 chapters um i can i run this workflow and ask me well what's the title of your book and i type in the title of the book and then it asks me how many chapters in the book and i say you know 10 or whatever and then the, the program will go through and, and it will generate um, new actions in omnifocus each one of which is is separated by a week. So the first item will be read chapter one of whatever the book title is, uh, and then that will be due on a, uh, seven days from today. And then the next uh, one will be due 14 days from today, and then you know a week after that, and a week after that, all the way through. And then that just all gets shoved over to OmniFocus and get a new project gets created. So every week, one action becomes due, which is to read the next chapter of the book, for example. And these are the kind of things that you can do without actually having to do do the mathematical calculation for uh, what date is it seven days from today and then 14 days from today and then so on and so on. Um, you can just kind of have a wee action that just adds a week to whatever date object you've got and just add another week to it and so on. 
So those are some of the kind of examples. And, and you're, you're also right that it's a great way to get started with thinking about the kind of logical sequencing of programming. What we're doing in school, hopefully next year, if I can get it written in time, is um, my my in, initial education about computer programming uses an app called um, Hopscotch, which we're going to talk about next. But the, the next stage after that for kids who've been through the Hopscotch program is I'm going to take them to Workflow next, where it's basically the same visual idea of drag and drop block based programming but instead of uh, just making little game things where a character moves about on the screen uh, with workflow we'll start to look at sort of harder problems perhaps more interesting problems problems that involve working with images downloading data from the internet and so on and so on uh, and then from there once we complete the workflow course we'll go into the my existing Python programming course which is the year after that again so workflow is actually going to be coming it's not just a an automation tool. It's not just a, a, a helpful iOS utility, but it's actually going to be one of the major components of my computer programming education in school as well. So yeah, uh, I mean, I, uh, personally, I use Workflow uh, every day heavily. Like uh, I invoke Workflows and the Action extension dozens of times per day. It's, it's po quite possibly the single app that makes Mac stories and Club Mac stories possible. Uh, I, I really don't know what I would do without it at this point, which is kind of scary to think about that I depend on an app so much, but it's uh, continuously updated. It's ha actively developed, so I'm, I'm not I'm not worried about it. It even won an Apple Design Award last year, so even Apple kind of recognizes the, the power and the excellence. Yeah. This is the, the kind of tricky part of the, this particular show, but also many things we talk about on, on Canvas is that... Um, a lot of these things are kind of pushing the boundaries of what iOS was perhaps initially supposed to be. And, you know, when you do build on top of uh, tools like this, I, I sometimes am a little bit concerned, like, what happens if one day Apple comes along and decides that that's not going to happen? You know, that, you know, workflow is too powerful now and it has to, it has to either be dumbed down or it has to go away or something like that. Um, but hopefully, you know, with, the, with an Apple Design Award under its belt, Apple have looked at that quite closely and thought, yeah, this app is is fine and it should be because that's the kind of thing that an a proper platform needs to be a proper platform is to have tools like workflow available to users as well so next app i want to talk about is hopscotch which is kind of is kind of uh, I, I spent my year at school uh, we've been working with pythonista we've been working with hopscotch as well and hopscotch is is a programming environment for children which is very much inspired by the Scratch program from MIT, which I, I talked about a little minute ago. Scratch has been around for a very long time, and it is, it's been on, you know, it's on Mac and Windows, and I think there's a Linux version as well. But it never quite made the transition to mobile. Uh, and Hopscotch is essentially an almost complete re-implementation of the Scratch idea for iOS. And what you have is you, ha you have a canvas um, where you can place multiple, there's little cartoony characters. Uh, you can put them on there. You can use emojis as characters and so on. And then what you do is that when you code uh, in Hopscotch, what you do is you're basically attaching behavior to these different objects on the screen. So you would say, you know, if, if you put like a little bear on the screen, you would then you could then edit the bear's code and each each code block has a little trigger so you can say you know when the character is tapped or when the ipad is shaken or when uh, when the play button is pressed for example there's various kinds of things events that can happen that trigger your code to run and then the behaviors that you program in there start to happen so you've got you've got um code like move turn 
set the x and y position draw a line so you, you can actually one of the ways that we teach uh, kids how to start programming is we have them draw things with using hopscotch so we'll have things like you know just let's start by drawing a square okay so it's uh forward turn 90 forward turn 90 forward turn 90 forward uh, and that way you get a square uh, and that's the kind of thing when we build it up and we make more complex ones and we we do we start to use multiple actors on the screen and things like that and, and that's how we start kids in programming is just to have them sort of think about the logical process of here's a problem i need to break it down into smaller parts and then i need to put those steps in order in order to solve the problem and it's a very kind of engaging way for for pupils to do that and it's uh, it's a very very powerful application uh, for that part of learning it, i wouldn't say it was powerful overall because it's very much limited by the fact that you have to attach all your code to some object that you can see on the screen so people have made some very complex things with hopscotch but when you look at the code for those things you see they are almost unmanageably complex under the hood the kind of thing that it would be impossible for me for example to say to the kids right let's download this one and let's tinker with it because it doesn't really have enough kind of code management or structure in it to really um, be sustainable over the long period and I'm pretty sure that if I after the summer holidays if I had my kids go back to their uh, hopscotch programs they wouldn't be able to under remember what they had done before that's kind of one of my always one of my critiques about that kind of programming is that it's easy to do it while you're writing it and you've got all the context in your head but if you ever have to come back to it and change it later on it's hard to remember why you did things the way you did them um at least with, whereas with workflow you have you have a single set of ac action sequences but with hopscotch because there's code attached to every little actor on the screen there can be interactions between those bits of code that are very very hard to remember and they're not at all obvious how you see them so hopscotch is great for getting started but i i really feel it only takes you so far and then you have to move up to a more powerful tool but it, nice. it's a wonderful program to start with and it's again an, another example of what you can do on ios and the kids have absolutely loved it i mean i, I don't think i've ever been a more popular <laughs> teacher <laughs> than, than when i did hopscotch uh this was the same class that i used the pixar in a box uh web-based course with them from uh, mm -hmm. that's a Khan Academy course so that class absolutely loves me because we did Pixar movies at the start of the year and then we did hopscotch programming at the end of the year and uh, my, my popularity has soared since doing it so it's a great great starter program for kids and then it's great to know also that we've got these other things that you can move up to as well nice yeah, I've always been interested to kind of understand hopscotch because I uh, a lot of people a lot of people keep mentioning it and I saw an article recently about on I think on Mashable about a school that uses hopscotch to teach programming on the iPad super cool really really nice yeah we've the furthest I ever took it was I had the kids re-implement the iOS um, lock screen oh wow on it so we had different uh, different circles and they put a number in each one and then you had they had to write a hidden code and attach that to another object that was invisible so this is the kind of thing that you have to do in hopscotch is you know if you want to store data somewhere you've got to put it somewhere on like an invisible object so it's there but not there um, and then we had them uh, implement the number keypad and they had to they had to test whether or not uh, what the user had typed in was actually the right one and so on and that was when we started to really break hopscotch it, it was just a little bit too complex a problem for what what hopscotch could could meaningfully do but it was that was the last project of the year nice for so nice some of them managed it yeah yeah okay so that's hopscotch the other one that um some people use in schools is, is an app called codea so c-o-d-e-a um 
which is is a kind of development tool on iOS that's very focused on coding games. Now, Codea is kind of like the it's like the Pythonista of game development on on iOS. So you have Hopscotch, which is a very kind of it's like the workflow, and then okay. Codea is like the Pythonista <laughs> of the kind of game programming world. Uh, and the reason that I call it that is because uh, Codea is actually based on writing, typing in actual code, right? So it's based on the language Lua which is a language that's been yeah. used in a lot of kind of game scripting. It's built into some very uh, complex games. It's also the language that underlies, um, what's the name of that photo app from Adobe? Lightroom. Um, Adobe Lightroom is written in, in large part in Lua as well. And uh, Corea is very focused on game programming. You have similar kinds of ideas. You you can put things on a canvas, um, but you also have you know big, complex rich scripts and also a rich library of game related uh, code that you can use as well to go along with that um, and it has uh, a number of very interesting features one of which is that you can take a Codea project that you've done and you can export that to your mac as an xcode project and then on the mac you can just compile it package it distribute it and actually put a Codea project hmm. in the okay, app store nice which is quite cool and there's a couple of apps that have actually been built that way there's one which I forget its name and I didn't write it down stupidly, but it's a game where you, you sort of work a digger and you have to sort of pick and, and move different blocks and things around in the game. Um, but then there are certainly a couple of others that have been built in Korea that are now actually shipping as iOS apps in the App Store nice. as well. Yeah, it's, this also seems quite powerful. I once uh, played around with the idea of uh, trying Kodia and, and see what, what can I create, but then I remembered I'm terrible at... You know, create imagining any kind of game or graphics or anything really. <laughs> so I'll stick with yeah. workflow, but this also looks very cool. So something that came out this week, Fraser, is called uh, Top Coding, and it's from the developers at Flary mm-hmm. Fl- Flarify, I think they're called. Uh, they're the same company Flarify, behind yeah. Tap yep. Typing, which is this typing trainer for iOS and. Tap coding is um, basically teaches you Swift, so the basics of Swift uh, in an interactive way. Yeah. Have you have you played around with this? I have. Yep, I, I've been on the. I've been testing it for a couple of weeks, and I really like it. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. No. What what um what they've done with tap coding is it, it's not tap coding isn't a it's not a Swift development environment for iOS, but what it is is it's essentially a kind of very rich interactive textbook for learning Swift programming. So it's done almost sort of in the style of, um, you know, Khan Academy courses where you've got a little unit here and a little unit there. And as you go through the content, there's little tests you can do and so on. Uh, I think it's really nicely done and it introduces students to the ideas of variables and how do you declare a variable and what's a string and, and what are the rules around strings and so on. So I've been talking to them a little bit about some of the educational aspects around about um, how you would introduce certain terms to students and so on. But I, I've been very, very impressed with that. I think it's really nice. nicely done. Yeah, well, if Apple doesn't do uh, Xcode for iOS uh, with any sort of guide to learn Swift uh, in an interactive fashion, I think I'll have to, yeah. to give this a try because learning Swift and especially Swift version 3 just coming out this year, it's one of my goals going mm-hmm. forward. I feel like uh, now that the language is kind of stabilizing and the APIs are starting to, you know, not mm-hmm. to change dramatically from version to version, I think it's time for me to sort of understand Swift better to learn the basics. So I'll see. Yeah, it kind of... Yeah. I'm definitely I'm definitely interested in, in Swift as a language for teaching as well. I mean, we've used Python mainly because the, the Pythonista tool is so good on iOS. 
But if Xcode for iOS were to come along, that would be a very interesting challenge and decision for me to make because um, as much as I love Pythonista, I don't love yeah. teaching Python programming because I, I think that many of the things in the Python system, the Python yeah. libraries are quite inconsistent and have clearly been kind of added yeah. bit by bit as time has gone on rather than all being very cleanly designed altogether. So that, you know, Swift might be a nicer way to teach, yeah. actually, if the and tools were there. This app, uh, Tap Coding, reminds me of a similar uh, tool called Swifty. For iOS, it also tries to mm -hmm. teach you Swift, and there's some um, interactivity going on there that you can uh, sort of play around with the language and with the, some of the concepts. Uh, it's also, you know, it's an alternative to Tap Coding if you want to check out both of these apps. Um, before we wrap up the mm -hmm. show, Fraser, I thought we should have some honorable mentions about other tools and apps that you can Absolutely. use for programming on iOS. Something that uh, was announced this week, in fact, is called Osmo Coding. Now, the Osmo is a series of toys. Okay. It's kind of like an interactive toy for mm -hmm. iPad users. The idea is... Yeah, you you have these uh, blocks, like physical blocks, that you place in front of an iPad. And thanks to the camera, basically the iPad can run in the Osmo app, recognizes these blocks, and lets kids play around and kind of uh, form shapes and other sort of interactive tools. Now there's a, a coding version that has special blocks uh, for actions, such as run, jump, uh, there's a, a on each block on most of these blocks. There's a an arrow that you can uh, rotate to change the directions. You can there's buttons buttons that you can push to execute actions. So it's kind of a mix of a toy, like a physical toy, with the versatility of an iPad because you can see the result on the screen. And it should be a fun way. So it's very really, really interesting. interesting. It should be a fun way to teach programming, like uh, digitally and physically, if you will. Really cool. Uh, there's of mm -hmm. course apps mm -hmm. like uh, Udacity and Treehouse to uh, you know to uh, learn the basics of any kind of programming. There's courses, videos that you can watch. Uh, those are really popular on the App Store. In fact, Apple has featured both of these apps uh, heavily on the App Store before. And of course, I feel like I should mention if programming with Python and Swift is not what you're looking for, but you're more of a HTML, CSS, JavaScript person, you know, a web developer, Coda by Panic. Uh, it's one mm -hmm. of the most powerful, uh, really pro apps on iOS. I have created yeah. JavaScript yeah. Uh, scripts <laughs> in Coda before. I know people who manage mm -hmm. and maintain websites uh, with HTML and CSS editing in Coda. And, uh, you know, the folks at Panic are also awesome. So go check out Coda by... Yes, they, they really yes, are. They are. Uh, and they have a crazy-looking sign <laughs> in Portland at their office. Uh, anyway, Coda is a fantastic app. If you do web programming on iOS, you need to manage your website. Go check out Coda. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's on the iPhone and the iPad. Great. Uh, so hopefully that's enough to be going on with for this week. Uh, and while we're all at WWDC, you can have a play with some of those apps and, uh, uh, you know, maybe we'll have more programmers mm. by the end of next <laughs> week. Who knows? Uh, so that kind of wraps up our, our show about coding with iOS. 
Uh, I think we've shown there that there are certainly plenty of things to do. I mean, obviously, um, when when you come to talk about programming, everybody's got their favorite programming language. And unless a platform supports your favorite programming language, then it doesn't count. But if you want to learn how to program, or if you want to just solve your work-related problems using code, you've got various options from Workflow all the way up to Pythonista and all these different things in between. And hopefully this kind of shows both the listeners and also uh, the wider community, I hope, that uh, you know, iOS deserves uh, consideration as a programming platform as well. Uh, and, and that's something that we've I've been teaching programming in iOS for about three or four years now, using various different technologies. And my current work, work set is Hopscotch, and then next year, hopefully, Workflow, and then Pythonista, and maybe one day, Xcode and iOS too. So you can find our show notes for this show at relay.fm slash canvas slash 12. You can connect with us on Twitter. We're underscore canvas FM for the show. I'm Fraser Spears. Federico is Vitici. And Federico, why don't you tell people where they can meet us next week in San Francisco if they want to? Well, I will be at the keynote and the State of the Union mm-hmm. uh, session so feel free to, to say hi. Uh, I'm really um, I, I want to meet everyone. I want to shake hands with everyone. But there's also going to be a live connected event. Unfortunately, tickets are all sold out. But if you do have a ticket, and if I suppose you're coming to the RelayCon event, uh, it's on it's on Monday afternoon. Uh, also, feel free to say hi at any time. I, I'm no I'm really not a not a shy person, especially <laughs> uh, with listeners and readers. I think it's awesome, and I'm so lucky. I feel privileged yeah. to be able to to talk to people this way. Uh, and I will be at WWDC all week. Mm-hmm. I'll be at the sessions. Uh, I still don't know which kind, which which ones I will go to. I'm waiting for the full schedule on to be posted on Monday. Yeah. But if you spot me, I I will be likely wearing uh, my new Nintendo Vans. Okay. <laughs> you know the special edition shoes. Uh, so they're kind of easy to spot because there's a there's a Nintendo controller <laughs> on them. Uh, so <laughs> anyway, feel free to say hi and uh, okay. Nintendo shoes. Nin- Nintendo go. shoes. You can you cannot go wrong. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, and, and likewise for me, if you see me around. Uh, uh, you're looking for the Scottish guy, so go for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the slightly overweight guy wearing chinos and a shirt, right? Oh, come yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so hopefully we'll see some people in San Francisco, and if not, we'll be back with you in two weeks' time. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>